0: Turn it up.
1: You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson.
2: And
0: I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go!
2: No
1: BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe.
0: The one request we tell our guests?
1: Stories or didn't happen.
0: A big welcome to our marketing fans.
1: Prepare to turn the f*** up. Hey marketing friends, I'm Ferg for the day. You might hear from me again, you might never hear from me or see me again. Definitely depends on how I do. Let's hold a good thought, but it's going to be okay. Totally kidding, today's going to be awesome. Let me intro myself really quickly before I introduce our amazing guest. I'm Ari Sadwick, I'm the e-commerce manager at Poosh and former e-commerce manager at Press Juicery and Snack Nation. Hint, I may have met Ferg and Daniel while we were all at Snack Nation.
0: I'm so glad we can get you on the podcast on such short short notice, Ari.
1: Yeah, I'm super happy to be here. Okay, that's definitely enough from me. Today we have a superstar guest. She's the owner of all-star PR firms, firm Seven Strategy, a Twitter influencer, a consumer tech expert, an industry leader, and all-around amazing person. Please welcome Sarah Evans. Sarah,
2: welcome. Thank you. I don't know if you could hear my husband laughing in the background at that amazing introduction. He's like, who is this lady you speak of?
1: <laughs> I'm Definitely <laughs> practice once or twice, won't lie, but we're so happy you're here. Thank you.
0: Cool, and we always like to kick this off, just how did you get started in the marketing world?
2: I actually went to college for communications and Discovered that I wanted to have an emphasis in public relations. And I always kind of jokingly say that when I was really young I don't know, three, four years old I used to always plan these tea parties and I would invite neighbors and friends and bring everyone together. And I realized that's really tantamount or kind of central to the idea of public relations what keeps people coming back, what connects them to a, a brand, a product. Um, marketing, I always think, is what gets them in the door, but the, what will keep you becoming a friend of the brand or a stakeholder or an ambassador or an advocate. I guess it started really young.
0: That's I awesome. Love that. A lot of people don't get the opportunity to like know what they want in college. And like, at least I knew I like, I got into like marketing automation, which is like nothing you learn in college. So it's like, uh, I was like, what is this? I just wanted to start in marketing. I knew that, but I never knew like the path. So that's cool. You went down that path.
1: Yeah, and I definitely didn't know what I was doing. I studied religion and then now I'm an e-commerce manager. So something went
2: awry. <laughs> it's all good. I just wanted something that didn't have a ton of math. I remember telling my parents, I'm like, help, help. <laughs> That's a good strategy for sure. I knew what I didn't want. How about that?
1: And then how would you describe what PR is to a five-year-old? Obviously, you're an expert. So just kind of to someone who might not
2: know as much, what is PR? Let's let's try this. Hey Cash, what do you think mommy does for a living? This is my nine-year-old. This
1: sits on the computer all day.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I knew it'd be something like that. So to a five-year-old, it'd say I'd probably say, I oh, I've got it. Mommy makes people like them. <laughs> Uh, I think that's one of the best ways when I think about giving moments momentum, which is one of the kind of key phrases I use with clients, we have to think about it's not just what's newsworthy or story worthy, but what's going to keep you connected long-term under that kind of paid-earned. shared and owned umbrella that that PR lives under and that's much more than just media relations because especially if you're a startup you might not get any media hits um, in the first year or two but it doesn't mean that you don't have tons of PR opportunities
0: what do you think that companies are doing wrong with PR because I feel like I honestly hate those little like PR blasts on like like weird like PR Newsweek or whatever it's called because it's just like doesn't seem authentic to me. It just seems like they pushed a button.
2: Yeah. Play. I, I mean, I think the, the biggest mistake people make is trying to push a message that doesn't resonate. Um, like I read press releases as well. Um, there's a time and a place for them from an SEO perspective, or if you're pitching, you know, trade publications, if it's industry specific news, we might read it and think that's pretty boring, but we're not the audience for that necessarily. True. But just a general look at the public, you just read some of these messages and I'm like, People were paid to create that, to write that, to promote that. Someone said, that's a great idea. (laughs) Let's let's put that out there. And when I strategize on the back end with clients, we start to really dig into, I don't say it outright, but I really like to educate the executives I work with on kind of the fundamentals of public relations. And that lies in what is story worthy? What is newsworthy? Looking for those those key moments so you're not just spewing forth things for the sake of, of doing so.
1: I love that. And then when you're executing on those press releases, do you normally like send it the day something's going live or do you, as part of your strategy, kind of hype things before they happen? So
2: I think... I've gone back to what's old is new again. And for a lot of launches, let's say for an example of funding announcement, because we do a lot of those, um, we'll use an embargo or exclusive or embargo and or exclusive strategy where you offer it... A big story to a certain outlet. You might do a secondary exclusive to a non competing outlet in a different format, and then have a second tier of outlets where you offer embargo once those exclusive interviews all go through, and then a general day of push. So there's almost like three to four tiers of that entire launch strategy. That's cool.
0: Awesome. Well, I was actually listening to a podcast that Dave Gerhard was on with. I think he was like the CMO for like a cybersecurity company, but he was saying that. PR was actually like 40% of like his like demand gen. So I just want to see, I've never been in a company where like PR brought in so many leads, but I just want to know like, what is like that strategy to bring in those like leads from a PR perspective?
2: I'll give you two good examples. One is I had a client earlier this year and we we still work with them. They are an autonomous technology company. When COVID first kind of came onto the scene, they pivoted and created a specific type of drone that was indoors only that could use a certain kind of uh, UVC light disinfectant to wow. clean small spaces. We were able to generate so much press they had to hire more salespeople to keep up with the demand coming in. I don't know if there's a better ROI for PR than, than that kind of anecdotal story, but that's that's kind of a you know a one off example i'd say the majority of the time pr works hand in hand with the marketing and seo teams so we might get a great media hit but then we go into amplification what are all of the ways we can repurpose this media hit and the SEO team can use, you know, if you get a great placement in the New York Times or Wall Street Journal or TechCrunch, AdAge, any of those places, it's third-party validation. So now you can use it as part of a paid ad campaign. You can put a as seen on, on your website. Like there, there are all these other tiered things you can do with that one media placement to give it legs to then bring in ads. So it doesn't necessarily, the ads don't happen because of the placement. It's what you do once you get the placement. Cool,
0: yeah, we were just talking about like, it's, dis- it's a distribution, right? So like a lot of people will, and I think this is like a problem with content as well, but I don't know if it's the same PR, but they will they will distribute a piece of content and never like redistribute it on yeah. other, other channels. And it just like basically takes this amazing piece and just lets it die basically, so.
2: That, that hurts my PR heart and behind the scenes, I'm a, a process person. I always share different processes, uh, hacks, tips on social media. And for everybody we work with, we always come up with amplification workflows and we, we set them up in a way that they can be reused, repurposed. I want everyone that I work with to always have strong fundamentals and foundations so that even if we're not working together, they still have that process that they execute on, not just because they're working with me. Cool, I mean, so- I
1: think that the distribution part it I mean just from the e-commerce side, if mm-hmm. like let's say you got a, a placement in, you know, the New York Times or in whatever whatever source you're saying, that would be the first thing I'd want to add to the checkout on the product page ah. right below the add to cart, just to have, you know, four words and then it says like from the New York Times or whatever it is. That's the proof that I'm looking for. And ah. so I think that to me is I mean, I think PR and e-commerce, they don't go hand in hand you know, always, but in that instance, it would be the most like amazing sort of hit that I could ever want. That's exactly what I would need. That would help me with my conversion and with revenue so much.
2: It's third-party validation. It's just like uh, I was talking to my hairstylist last week, and she was. It's very silly, but we were talking about how she told some one of her clients, like, you can't have layers in your hair. Your hair's too. The way she wanted it cut, it was going to be too thin. She okay. went online, and there was some celebrity who was like, "Don't cut your hair in layers. It's too thin." And she came back, and she's like, "Well, so and so said not to cut their hair in layers." So it's <laughs> this third-party source over the expert sometimes, you know, so you just don't know what's. No, yeah, it's be. so true.
0: I'm always interested in like how you sell your story that they can say like the same thing as you you're actually trying to portray because I feel like sometimes it can get lost in translation so what's like the process of working with these media outlets to make sure your story is told the way that like you you see it
2: so that is a fallacy once you put that out into the world you are are I don't want to say at the mercy of, but they you know the, the media journalists don't work for us, so they might have uh, a larger story that they're trying to tell, and you become a part of that. Um, you might have a client like there. There are different levels of, of placements too. You know, you might have a full feature about someone. You might have a quote from a CEO. You might have a link back. You might like. There's different levels of those mentions. The best you, thing you can do when we're working with journalists is just give them the answers to their questions. Typically, we have something called a key messaging guide. So when an executive is getting ready to do an interview, it will give them a briefing document that says, you've got this interview coming up. Here are maybe some potential questions we think the journalist could ask. And here are a few key messaging points you want to include in those responses so that you are repetitive with that and you keep hitting that point home. You don't want to confuse or misconvey information. So we do spend a lot of time coaching, prepping, interview prep, Messaging prep with executives for those big moments, and then uh, making sure reporters have access to all the information that they need. And even then, you still run the risk that something might not be told the way you want it.
1: So true. I think that there's only so much prep you can do just because, even if you know the sound bite that you prepare, everyone's you know in a real conversation or they get comfortable and next thing you know, but I love that you have the process in place for at least kind
2: of preventing as much of that human error that is going to happen. You're so right, Ari. I mean, it's just we, you do what you can. And then once once you put it out there, it's the risk you take, but the reward is so much bigger, even if it didn't come out exactly the way you wanted, the fact you have that mentioned. Most, you know, sometimes people don't even read the article. They're just like, oh, you were in Forbes. Great. Cool. Now yeah. you, you know everything. And you're like, did you even read what I said? But it's Forbes. Yeah, so (laughs) you start.
0: What is your selling point for someone having like in-house PR versus like um, an agency for PR?
2: So I'm really lucky that I work in a few ways with brands. I have the strategy side of what I do, and then I have the unagency side of what I do. We don't function necessarily like a typical agency. So when I work with in-house teams, it's usually in two ways. One is I can come in and help provide support in an area where they might be lacking, um, or maybe they have an executive transition happening and they need someone to just help out until they fill the role. I also do a lot of training for PR teams. They want to focus or hone in on a specific part of digital PR communication. So I'll do digital PR boot camps for a, a lot of teams and that's where I'll teach those, the processes, how to get your tool suite in order. And then uh, I also come in just as support to a team. I was working with a company earlier this year that uh, received a huge round of funding and they grew so fast that their current comms team couldn't keep up with the demand that they had. So we were kind of the band-aid supplement until they could hire more people. <clears throat>
0: Well, that's a good, good thing. I mean, when PR gets to the point where you need to hire, and it's amazing. Like I remember, I was just listening to another podcast, and I know I keep mentioning this, but they had like, a product launch, and the PR was so good that like their numbers were like skyrocketing that month. And then the board was like saying, "Hey, how can we repeat this?" And like it's like it's something you just can't repeat. It's just like that that, that moment in time, like that. It just yeah, unicorn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, obviously
1: when I mean, let's say it's like that crazy month or you're brought in you know you can't always predict what's going to happen next but to set yourself up for success and to kind of level set with your client what metrics do you like to promise or track and attribution is probably you know not a easy thing always because you know there's multiple touch points but what metrics do you kind of look at or promise
2: so it kind of runs the gamut based on what we're hired to do. Sometimes we're brought on because there really is an actual story that's going to happen, whether it's, you know, a big funding announcement, they're launching a report or study. When it's something big like that, we'll do specific KPIs. Like our goal will be to get one tier one and two tier two um, media placements in the first 30 days. Maybe it's an infographic launch and then we'll say we, you know, we're gonna work to have 10 tier one and tier two placements. And because we know that there are places that whether it's trade publications, whatever that are going to use that, we can feel more confident in that. And then I'm working with some startups that just not startups, companies, I'm sorry, who don't have their messaging necessarily nuanced. They don't have a response repository for frequently asked media questions. They don't have their tool suite. They They don't have anything in place will use the actual development of their entire communications process as a huge deliverable and what their team will function like. And after that, then they can, a well-oiled machine works much better.
1: No, it's true. And even if, you know, that metric isn't tied to, you know, we set up these 14 processes and this month we saw this incremental revenue. It's now you've set them up to function the way they're meant to. So even one day, if you're not there to be holding their hand, then they'll look back and say, "Oh, if we didn't have this process, we wouldn't have landed this client or whatever." Absolutely. They'll remember.
0: The one question I had was how did you start building these relationships with like these media outlets because I'm always interested like how did it start? Like what was your break into like these introductions with them and like how did you like keep building like your basically rolodex of people?
2: So I'm going to show my age, but Um, This is this is not meant to be a a bragging moment It's just just a fact back in the day when Twitter was brand new. I launched the very first industry Tweet chat. It was called Jern chat and it was for PRs and journalists and marketing folks that they wanted Um, We'd get together every Monday night for two hours around a theme and talk about the state of our industries how social media was impacting that how we could work better together and it grew in popularity. It used to be the number one trending topic on Twitter every Monday. And then we ended up taking the show. It was the very first time it was, it was South by Southwest and CNN had us come do their very first live wow. uh, live show. And then I took it to NBC news in New York. So I did a bunch of really cool, big things, pre-kids and uh, new, you know, new, a new company owner that were new and innovative at the time. And I, that helped set me up for long-term opportunities.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I, we had Robin Daniels, who was like the CMO, you probably know him. He was talking about like, there's always a like one breakout project or one breakout thing where you it explodes your career. And like, it could be like you're working at like a big company and you launch a new product or, what you just did with like your Twitter thing where it's like that one big thing where it probably took a lot of hard work and like sweat and tears, but now like, look what it did for your career.
2: You know, what's crazy is I, once my son was born, I quit doing it because it was taking away my Monday night time with him. And I still look back and I'm like, Oh, I mean, I'm glad I did because it's my son and I got my time with him. But I was like, I gave up that huge thing that was kind of, Central to my career at the time. Obviously, I found a way to do other things, but it was, right. uh, you know, I, I chose family the, time. Yeah. Well, I mean, the balance is
1: always something that you have to protect. And even if you can look back and say, oh, on that Monday, I could have been doing this, but yeah. it definitely, it all worked out for you for sure. I'm yeah. um, curious. So, when you know, kind of exploded for you on Twitter, had you been testing new? sort of ways to handle other social media platforms or was it
2: just Twitter was you took to it right away or had you been doing other stuff? I was in everything. I mean, the LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, back in the the chat days, Um, wikis. I used to build a lot of wikis (laughs) back in the day. Uh, Media on Twitter wikis, uh, you know, media, wherever, um, all kinds of tools, resources. That's what I've always, at least in my industry, I try to be known for is how can I create tools, resources that will help others um, in the industry. I was just chatting with the folks at Airtable today, um, talking about building out better templates to help PR people manage tasks. Some was looking for ways I can give back to the industry.
0: That's so awesome. I just was thinking about something and this is kind of on the spot, but like, how would you have tackled that that ocean spray like viral video? Like, cause I think that was like a cool PR moment for Ocean Spray, like
1: and flavored Mac. I don't
0: know. I just, I just, I know that's putting you in the spot, but I just thought that was like a cool PR campaign that turned into like a a stream of like.
2: I mean, I I don't know that what I would have done differently. It's such an opportunity that kind of gets put on you, and obviously how you handle it makes a big deal. What I would be most concerned with is what do we. Do now? Right. At this viral moment, we've got this, we've got Fleetwood Mac, we've got all these cool things that have happened because of it. Uh, so what do we do now? And I think that's where you know the executive, the strategy side of things internally is you know, what can we not necessarily recreate this, but what were the successful parts of this and how can we either do good with this, how can we include others? Like, do we now take the stevie nicks of the world and and get the next person you know who who becomes part of this in a new way or a new capacity so i don't necessarily have the answer because i think it's it's successful in its own right
0: well i kind of was on the the track of asking like because i feel like pr like before social media was so different because now like you can tackle like the social media aspect and pr like the ocean spray like it didn't start as a a PR moment, but it had so much leg for a P- PR moment. So, uh, are you looking at like new platforms all the time to like leverage your PR moments?
2: Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think. My son has my phone, I think, somewhere. I'm just, you don't have, well, I don't know where it's at right now. Uh, <laughs> like Clubhouse, like all of the different apps and, and new places where people are popping up for things. I constantly try to get on those beta programs or early access because I want to see how people are using them for different purposes and see if there are opportunities. Most important for me is I, I want to be able to connect with with journalists or subject matter experts, influencers in those places. I don't need to be the one necessarily creating the best content there, but just being there to observe and connect is powerful.
1: write awesome. the press release once it goes viral. <laughs>
0: On the like on that note on like the the social media that we we just talked about but like where do you see like PR going in like five years like what is like the future of PR like how could even if you have like one thing that you think is just going to start being like trendy in PR in the next five years
2: I mean it's a it's a really good question I think I it, it, cliche said it earlier what's old is new again I mean with COVID taking over our lives, I had to quickly pivot and readjust how we were doing PR. I mean, we're not doing desk side briefings. We're not making plans to go to trade shows and conferences. So I think we're going to have to find a way to get back to relationship building at a very core level. So it's not necessarily something super new and nuanced like what social media network is next, but how do you take a step back and rebuild those personal connections that you're not going to get at least right now in the next 6, 12, 24 months? You better have a really strong connection with with people, and, and part of that means even just taking the time for a phone call, a video chat, a postcard, a card mailed, something. But we need to get back to some of that like human connection.
0: And I think like a lot of company, I mean, a lot of like like sports teams are doing it pretty interesting, like how like they have to do like Zoom calls with like press, which you probably would have never thought that would be a oh. thing. Yeah.
2: Never, and Daniel, you always do such a great job of you know recognizing people and calling people out uh, on LinkedIn and other places. And I I want to see more of that. I mean, number one, it, it works; it's great content, but it also gives people some place to be recognized and and shared. And I think that's the place where everyone's competing for so much attention. When people can give attention away, it's much more powerful.
0: Agreed. I think for me, it's like it's it kind of takes back an i like an empathy thing for me because i feel like i had so many people that helped grow my audience by sharing my stuff that like i feel like even with like the the people that i think i just want to share like the the best people to follow that i'm not an expert in so like for you your pr like i think like everybody should follow you for pr stuff like i can't give them like good pr stuff so Go to Sarah for PR. Like if someone wants to do more social media like like Twitter stuff, I'm not the best at Twitter, like maybe that's Matthew Koback or you. Like there's like a lot of people who are like I feel like it takes like a step back and say, like, what are you the expert in and what knowledge could you give off to your audience? And then who are the other people that you can help that can help them with this? And at the end of the day it's like value add, right? So like Absolutely. how could you help your audience?
2: I also think I don't think, I know, I one of my core values is a belief in abundance, especially professionally. So I never have a problem promoting my peers who even do what I do because there's more than enough work. There's more than enough business, especially different levels, different tiers, different specialties. Even though I do PR, I'm not great at PR in every industry. So someone might come to me. And I say, you know, that's not my area of expertise, but I know so and so who's much better at this than I am. So I, um, I do try to also be to help others in my industry.
1: I love that, and I think that everyone obviously wants to get theirs, and everyone wants to be successful. But it's kind of one of those things where what you give is what you get, and yeah. everyone wants, you know, to feel like their peers are looking out for them. But most people don't feel that from people that someone could knock on their door and get the same service from that person. So the fact that you're not shy about recommending someone who um, might be able to do it or might not, but you think they might be better for the task, that's pretty generous. And I think that that kind of just shows your your integrity. And I think that will serve you forever.
2: Well, and it's all reputation-based, right? So if I take on a project I can't do and I do a really Crappy job at it. They're gonna tell someone. <laughs> and I'm not perfect. I mean, obviously I've made mistakes in my career and learned and, and grown, but I've also had the chance to meet a lot of amazing people. And I know people who are just so good at specific things. I'm like, that's who you need to go to. Dan,
0: yeah, and I think it's one, I think it's self-awareness thing. Like you know your strengths and you know your weaknesses. And I think two one thing I like to ask on this podcast is. What are a lot of things that our marketers are doing right now, like a, a trendy thing that you think they're doing wrong?
2: Ooh, I like this one. And it might not be solely, this still kind of comes down to PR because I'm so PR focused. I'll give two things, even though I like to focus on what's right. One of them I talked about today is the reliance on personas. Every time for years it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I'm like, you know what is what is a persona, and I get I get what it's supposed to accomplish, and I didn't always like what it made me feel like. And I'm looking for the tweet I sent out today. I read that tweet today. Oh, you did. So, yes. <laughs> um, and I just talked about the idea of like nobody puts baby in a corner. Nobody wants to feel like they're just like everyone else. I like to believe that you know, there's some originality to me. I'm not the persona of Nancy. Uh, you know, a forty year old executive who likes yeah. to shop at Lululemon, like they're, like this very specific um, version of myself. So I like the idea of, of building concepts of how you, people, customers will use a product or the do moments, like what will they do with this? And I feel like that's so much more productive versus trying to force me into this like round that you've created. The other thing is newsjacking. And I, I know that probably lives in the PR realm a little bit more, but the concept of, for example, if Ocean Spray is going viral, how does my brand insert themselves into the conversation, try to take it over or add something to it. And I've now been talking about thread boosting so it's another you know kind of buzzword but how do you add value instead not take thinking of this as how can we take over what has happened but how can we do something with what has happened and add um, commentary value content support others give it additional legs and I feel like it sounds better and it is better
1: no I think that's so true and I can't remember if I'm getting this wrong but Nike did something really cool and they were having a moment. Everyone was talking about it or Adidas. I'm going to mess it up, but Nike did something and, and Adidas, instead of saying like, let's compete, let's do something. They shared what Nike did and like clapped at it and said like, You're this like, is amazing. Or, I, I, it might've been Adidas or either way, but those are direct competitors. They both have rockstar PR teams. They both have rock star social teams. And instead of just trying to ride the coattails, they just clapped for their competitor and, I then remember both of them in that moment as opposed to just remembering, remembering Nike in that moment.
2: It makes you happier about those brands. It's what keeps you connected and maybe coming back and next time you have a shoe purchase, you know, maybe it's for sure one of those two brands.
1: Right. And I think that it's not the first instinct. You just want to get the same attention and you don't want to always be talked about when you're talking about your competitor. But I think that you're so right that I've never heard the term newsjacking, but we see it happen all the
2: time. I would say you're a witness to it. You know. Yeah.
0: It. yeah. And I think both the things you said come down to like one empathy. Like I think like putting someone in a box, like is very unempathetic because then you're just not taking the time to like get to know them. Like, I feel like if you say like, I mean it's good to say like okay, this is like an example customer, but a lot of time people do these personas, don't even talk to their customers and don't actually get to know them. And then to the authenticity I like feel like it goes to hand to hand with just being human, like newsjacking, you are showing that you're not being authentic to that moment. Like, um unless you can create something like you said that's a value add to that moment that like you're a brand like drinking ocean spray and doing the same thing, like in nike shoes or something like funny like that like uh, there's no value out if you're just going to try ride the wave or of that
2: i mean you think about the people who who do best it's it's either inspirational aspirational informal informational or um, educational and i always look at those kind of four categories And if you're not providing one of those what, what's the point i mean the tiktok creators and makers that go viral it's really entertaining content and if you can't provide something better than when, what you just saw maybe it's not your time
0: what are your like favorite type of media outlets to use
2: like to read or, so, or social media
0: no like media outlets that you work with as a pr person i know, know that like, you know that like like
2: Candles they're probably- are all my favorite Uh, There we go. See, that's (laughs) the answer I was
0: looking for. That's that's what I want.
2: What do you speak of? Um, I can tell you some qualities of what I really, really like is that it really makes me feel good when journalists realize we're not there to be their nemesis, but we're there to help them find stories that they may not have thought of otherwise, or provide value. I've had journalists, you know, get really mad when we're doing pitches, and you know, it's kind of like, well you write about this topic, so I'm reaching out, so it's nice if you just say no, or, you know, like I tell my kids, yes, please, or no, thank you. Like, those are your right. responses. So it's, it's nice to be viewed that way. PR people work, re- journalists work really hard. I'm, I'm well aware of that with limited resources, and PR people also work really hard. So I love to see that teamwork and collaboration when possible. And I love partnering with media. One of the things I always do is practice servant leadership with with those who, need, who I need to tell a story. So if a producer I'm working with isn't gonna cover a story I pitch, but they need a source for something else and fast, I will go get them that source as best as I possibly can. Um, and I do that with any media that I work with.
1: I've seen you tweet that. You'll say, I need a source for an article, like reply to me and I'll connect you with the writer. And I first was reading the tweet and I was like, Oh, she needs a source for her article, and then you read the next sentence, and you're like, "Oh, it's not even for me; it's just for someone else." I'll connect you on the back end. That's the type of like actually,
2: you're putting it into action, and
1: then if you ever need it, it will come back to you.
2: Totally, and then they they're more like then they read my pitch. I have producers and bookers that I do that for, and they always read my pitch and respond, even if it's not a fit. And it's a, a beautifully um, reciprocal relationship.
0: What is the like top three? advice or lessons you would give someone starting out in PR?
2: I'm going to think back to when I first started. Number one, you are going to make mistakes. So you have to be okay with it and think about what you're going to do when you do. Every horror story you've ever heard, I've probably done or experienced. Today, I pitched a reporter and said, oh, I hope everything's good at, like, insert. And I put the wrong publication name that they worked at. And after I sent it, I'm like, something doesn't feel right. And I went and looked. I was like, oh, my God. Well, at the same time, I realized my son, who's distance learning, was right next to me. He had his headphones off. I was trying to help him with a project while I was on deadline trying to get this thing out. And I just said, hey, uh, excuse slash non-excuse. I just wanted to tell you kind of the, here's what's going on in my life right now. I said, does it does not make it right? But I know who you work for. Um, My bad on that. So for, you know, young people, even those of us who are the most seasoned still make mistakes. And I think it's really important to remember that. Number two, you have value. Even if you think I I don't have the experience or the relationships yet, inherent knowledge that you have about social landscapes, digital media, and other things are extremely valuable. So don't undersell your own worth. And number three, remain hungry. Um, I still Love what I do. I pinch myself almost every day. I cannot believe this is my job and I get to work for myself and have these amazing bosses who are clients, but I remain hungry for knowledge. I always want to do better, be better, and know more.
0: I love that. that's so awesome and valuable and now this is just to like light in the mood and just level the playing field with every other guest. We have like this rapid fires um, <laughs> of okay. questions. So I'll start it off and then Ari will go after me. But what was your first job ever ever?
2: Sure. Oh my gosh, I was a busser at a restaurant in my little home small my my hometown.
0: That's awesome.
2: Where's your hometown? It is LaSalle, Illinois okay. in central Illinois.
0: Awesome.
1: Love
2: it, that wasn't my question. Oh, I was like oh, curious. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the speed. I just had to know.
1: I just answered. Okay. I'm new, so that was my question. Um, what but, is your favorite book?
2: Where the Red Fern Grows.
0: Awesome. What is your favorite brand currently?
2: Ooh, I love this um, company called Joa Brown for like, athleisure wear. I kind of have gotten obsessed with it because the quality of the clothes is so good. It's a little bit on the pricey side, but it's the type of clothing that will last for years and years and years. It's just really well made.
0: Yeah, I always say cheap is expensive.
2: <laughs>
0: I always say cheap is expensive when it comes to like clothes. Just because like I bought like uh, like a $10 shirt and it lost me two wears and then a $50 shirt would like last me. That was just an insert. <laughs> I
2: think I've watched some of these 20 times and they're still in the exact same condition. And I'm That's not just my clothes. I'm gonna check it out.
1: Um, Who is your go-to influencer? So who's your guilty pleasure person to follow?
2: I'm super into the home edit team. You- yes. Yes. <laughs> I love the rainbow. <laughs> I've got so many freaking bins right now. My snack cover, like every Saturday and Sunday, my husband's like, what are you organizing now? I'm like, I don't know. I just need plastic bins and I've got to get my handwriting made it into its own font so I can print out labels. No, it's so true. It's I like I that. want to use someone else's handwriting. Yeah.
1: I'm um, completely obsessed. And then what is your favorite project you ever worked on? Oh,
2: Oh, I know. This was... Several years ago now, but so it was the hashtag beat cancer movement and this wow. is for um, There was ever a guinness book world record for hashtags In fact after we got this first guinness book world record for hashtag beat cancer. I think it was then beat um, By barack obama then it was justin bieber then ellen and I don't know who's broken it since um, but it was for the most used number of hashtags in a 24-hour period and we worked with CNN and a bunch of influencers and got people all over the world to tweet hashtag beat cancer across many social networks. And now I'm forgetting who it was, matched funds and donations. And we raised a ton of money for cancer and, and a Guinness Book World Record. And it was fun.
0: Cool, cool. What app do you currently use most on your phone right now?
2: Todoist. Oh, um, well, I've
0: never heard of it. Me I either.
2: I make crazy organizational person um, that's why the home edit is like like it is a scratch for me um, but it really helps <laughs> manage all of the tasks in my life and I feel like I I've now set up a bunch of iOS shortcuts for it I've got a widget for it on my home screen like I'm, I'm pretty nuts with it
1: I'm going to get it because I'm pretty type A. And so when when another sort of organized person tells me something, I'm going to get it. Welcome to the rabbit hole, Ari. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then our last question is, what song or
2: artist automatically puts you in a good mood? Uh, I'm going to get really specific with this, but I love Bette Midler sings the Rosemary Clooney songbook. It's probably like one of those records, albums, compilations that I put it on and I'm like, I just feel like I I sing every song. It just makes me really happy. All right.
0: Love it. <laughs> <laughs> gonna,
1: um, I've never heard it. We're going to go listen.
0: So the last thing we like to do is give you an opportunity to plug your social or anything you want to say or do during this part of the podcast, uh, your Twitter, your LinkedIn, or anything else you want to share.
2: You can find me on twitter and linkedin pr sarah evans on instagram sarah evans also follow and engage with daniel and ari and i love to promote others in fact i put out a list this afternoon of at least 10 other people i think are, who are amazing content creators so follow all those people as well
0: love it well thank you thank you for coming on it was a blast
2: thank you guys you did awesome
1: thank you It was so fun